Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, December the 22nd, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Of course, if you want to send me a note, go to Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy New Year. This is, by all accounts, uh, I was looking at the calendar before I got on the air this morning. This is our last uh, podcast of 2019 together. Uh, Short of anything happening and some news, I was thinking of maybe doing something special for the holidays, but I I do know we are going to be taking off uh, next week uh, for the Christmas holiday. So there'll be no podcast next week, short of some big news going on. Uh, so this will be it for 2019, and, and we can rest. And uh, look, there'll be plenty of opportunities to 
talk Mets baseball in the new year. Trust me on that. Um, and there'll be pretty mo- plenty more things to discuss and debate and get agitated about and excited about and what have you. Uh, I said last week that the show is like all the information. We were chock full of information to talk about, like a Christmas stocking. And it seems like that was uh, the case again today. So we'll try to get it to you in the hour. But I have two guests today. I, I mixed it up. I usually don't like to do two guests, but I mixed it up a little bit. First, a new guest to the show, uh, Dan Hayes. Dan Hayes is at The Athletic. He uh, is the beat reporter for the Minnesota Twins. And why are we having a beat reporter for the Minnesota Twins on? Well, the reason is because uh, he wrote a piece about a year ago, more than a year ago, about Jeremy Hefner, who was the assistant pitching coach for the Twins. He was an advanced scout for the Twins, and he's now the Mets pitching coach. So we're going to get to know Jeremy Hefner, and um, we're going to hear from Dan Hayes and, and, and get his take on why Jeremy Hefner, who was described as one of the rising stars in baseball as when it comes to pitching coaches, why he's a good fit for the Mets. So we'll see what he has to say later on. Mets Miners, our friends from Mets Miners, a new voice from Mets Miners, Ernest Dove, because you're hearing a lot about different bullpen arms that are available. Will Smith uh, early on. Now there's Will Harris here. Uh, Dylan Batanz's name came out. You know, Daniel Hudson, Steve Ciszek. Uh, I know Joe Smith was signed this week. So uh, tons of names have been talked about throughout the winter. Mets haven't been on any of them. They spent their money on starting pitching. So are there options within the organization that are actually realistic with some upside that the Mets can count on? And our friend Ernest Dove over at Mets Miners is going to let us know about that. And, uh, and of course, we'll get into the Cespedes news that came out uh, from Eduardo Perez, the Mets lineup. I want to talk briefly about the Mets lineup. And then I had a chance to talk to uh, a, ba- a friend I have in baseball, that works for the Colorado Rockies, and I wanted to get their take on Nolan Arenado. Uh, not that that individual is involved in any trade talks with the Rockies, but I said, what do you know about Arenado? What do you know about what the organization thinks about him? And what do you think about these rumors? As well as why I think any big game hunting by the Mets is due diligence, and I think that's the, a good thing by Brody Van Wagenen. But I'm not about to start tearing things apart and trading guys like Jeff McNeil or Pete Alonzo or or any of those guys for, um, you know, the sake of a back page in, in the winter. I think that, that that's not how you build a team that's silly and what have you. So um, a couple of quick hits here before we get to Dan Hayes. Uh, number one, can we all stop with Zach Wheeler? And, I, and again, I have nothing against Zach Wheeler. Uh, I wanted the Mets to sign him. Uh, I, I think he's a great guy. He, he pitched really well the last, you know, year and a half. But... This idea during the Phillies press conference that all of a sudden this four-seam fastball and the utilization of the four-seam fastball was some kind of state secret that only came out as soon as he put a Phillies jersey on and the Mets and Wheeler had no idea about it. I mean, let's 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 just relax. Look, he's 29. Can he evolve? I know what we're all talking about, about Jarrett Cole and how he evolved when he went over to Houston. Um, apples and oranges, every player's different. There's been some talk about the Astros using pine tar illegally to get a better grip so we'll see how you know much that played into the whole situation Um, 
of course, cameras and technology and what have you. I mean, that's a separate situation. I'm not saying Zach Wheeler can't improve. Zach Wheeler's a guy with a high injury risk who made a lot of money. God bless him. Five-year deal. I think there's going to be days where he pitches like an ace. I think there's days he's going to pitch like a number five, and there's going to be frustration in between. And I'm I'm not sure a good team, especially a team with good lefty bats like the Mets on the road, uh, that's going to be an easy uh, uh, situation for Wheeler. That's 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 my experience having watched Wheeler for a long time and broken him down statistically. So let's stop acting like Zach Wheeler all of a sudden is going to be Jacob DeGrom on a consistent basis or better or Jared Cole or things like that. The second thing, it's okay for the Mets to play the market. Everyone's getting crazy about uh, them not signing anybody. Do something, do something. It's okay to play the market. Dylan Baton says... And I agree. Uh, I was chatting with someone over the weekend. They're like, this sounds like the agent. And I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of, you know, if you go to Sarone's piece over at Mets blog, where he said that the Mets uh, felt like they had him on the hook in the middle of November. The Yankees bailed out. He looked to get other offers to try to increase the the offer from the Mets. And the Mets are like, hey, this is what we have based on what we believe your value is, our budget and and take it or leave it. And, and so far, he hasn't left it completely. I guess if you gave somebody an offer and it's been sitting out there, the more it sits out there, the more likely it is that you, you feel they won't take it. But to me, uh, this is what free agency is about. This is how you run business. This is the free agency game. This is agents trying to do their job. And if I had to take a guess, Batances probably wants to stay in New York. He probably wants to stay with the Yankees, but that's not an option. The Mets are a great secondary option, and I, and I think a great fit for him. But uh, our, over at Elite Sports New York, our friend Rich Mancuso wrote a piece where he's also got some risk with the uh, the Achilles and things like that uh, could potentially be problems down the road. So the Mets probably want to be able to make an offer that's fair but doesn't clog up their ability to make adjustments and changes or roster moves during the season because of the fact that they signed a guy to a big deal, maybe overpaid him. He's an injury risk, and he is a risk. And let's face it, Baton says, I, I think he's a good fit, and I, and I hope they could come to a deal. But he's also a guy who got benched during the playoffs a couple of years back, can lose his command and control. He's not a shoe in to be perfect. Let's put it that way. So let's just relax. Let's just make sure that we understand it's a business and negotiation is okay. Now, finally, and I do want to get to Dan Hayes of The Athletic, at Dan Hayes MLB. Um, this debate about whose rotation is better, and I laugh because all of a sudden now the Yankees are exponentially better than anybody in, the, in baseball because Jarrett Cole joined their rotation. Jarrett Cole joining their rotation absolutely upgrades them. Uh, he's a he's a mature guy. You, you have to like how he uh, presented himself during the press conference. Let's not get crazy where all of a sudden this was his dream. He had $326 million for it to become his dream about playing for the Yankees. So let's not, you know, get bananas here about that. But the Mets still have the two-time Cy Young Award winner on their staff. They have a guy that easily could win a Cy Young Award in Syndergaard. They have a very capable number three in Stroman. Mats is a lefty that at times and and has pitched in the postseason, by the way, in the World Series, uh, very uh, uh, nice games in the World Series against a pretty good Kansas City team at a very young age. So he has potential to be top of the rotation as well. And then you've got another Cy Young Award winner as your number five 
in Porcello, uh, local guy, and then Waka with a lot of upside. So the Mets still have a pretty good rotation. You want to spend the rest, rest of the winter comparing. I still think the Mets are better. Uh, the Yankees have some very interesting arms as well. Jordan Montgomery coming back, Severino. I mean, I don't know if Jay Happ's going to stay there, but uh, he's, a, he's a solid veteran in the back end. Yankees rotation's improved. Everybody's pushed back and slotted in a better situation. But the Mets have always had that situation. And I, have a, I think if they had signed Zach Wheeler, we wouldn't be having as much of this conversation. Uh, but I laugh because it's, again, that marketing of the media where it's like one move changes everything. That's not baseball. Uh, it actually it made them better, and it puts them in a great spot in a postseason when you have an ace because they haven't had that pretty much. I, I, I don't look at Severino as that yet because I don't think he's proven it in the big spot. But uh, if you want to debate that the rest of the offseason, so be it. I wouldn't get crazy over that because that's not really – that doesn't matter. That just fills time between now and when pitchers and catchers report. And by the time – April comes, it'll be forgotten, and then there'll be a couple of times during the season where it'll pop up Subway Series, slow times, or when somebody wants to poke the bear and uh, get some clicks somewhere at some publication and what have you. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Dan Hayes of The Athletic will talk about Jeremy Hefner. What does he expect the Mets and Jeremy Hefner? How's that marriage going to look like? Why is he the right fit for the Mets, and what did he do over at Minnesota that made him so coveted? As a pitching coach, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. I'm joined by Dan Hayes. You can check Dan over at The Athletic. He covers the Twins. And uh, why, yes, are we having a Minnesota Twins scribe join the show? Well, the Mets have a new pitching coach, Jeremy Hefner. We know him as a former Met. But Dan had a great article back during the 2018 season about Jeremy Hefner. And obviously, we'll a couple of, well, maybe a free agent or two, maybe that the Mets are interested in that maybe Dan has a thought about. Dan, welcome to the program. And I guess I'll start out by saying it's amazing to me how quickly coaching staffs, and you're in the locker room, are changing in Major League Baseball. Assistant pitching coaches, coordinators, advanced scouts. Uh, it's going to be like the NFL and the NBA. You're going to have like 15 coaches running around there. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> the titles have changed a ton. And um, especially, you know, in, in his case, instead of doing a bullpen coach, they decided to do assistant pitching coach, even though he was primarily in charge of the relievers, but, um, field coordinators, uh, quality control. There's so many different titles these days. It's, it's not your standard coaching staffs like it used to be. And now it seems like to divide everything up in, in twos with the hitting coaches as well. So, uh, but Jeremy Hefner definitely has had anything but a, uh, traditional path and he's arrived where he is really quickly Um, and I I think that just really speaks to how talented he is you wrote about his 
uh, unique journey. And, and you're right. I mean, Paul Molitor, his his regime there in the dugout, he was part of it. I mean, Molitor had some nice things to say about Hefner. I mean, chat a little bit about your experience. I know he's a back-end guy, you know, with assistant pitching coach. Maybe he didn't have as much exposure, but I mean, it seemed like he, he was always one of the, you know, future quote-unquote stars as the pitching coaches go. What makes him so unique? Give Give us an idea of the impact he had on the Minnesota Twins. Well, you know, I think he kind of uh, is at that forefront of analytics along with pitching experience. He knows how to blend the two old school and new school together very well. And he really understands the data and, um, you know, also had some scouting experience. He was the twins advanced scout for two seasons and really came on in 2017. And, you know, at the time that he was hired uh, to be part of Paul Molitor's staff, the plan at first was just to have him for home games only and, and keep him in Minnesota. And then when they were on the road that he would basically stay and scout at home and, and do all of his, his work from there. But uh, within that first month that he was on, Paul Motter realized there was so much value that he brought in his role that he wanted to hire him full time and, and bring him on. And that started two seasons sort of in this hybrid role where he was the advanced scout um, and, and basically an analytics guy. And, you know, I, I think that what it came from is that he knew in his own career. And I, I think uh, the story you're referencing, I wrote about him probably in February of 2018, but he, uh, he talked about how at, in his own career, the way he would uh, pitch games, you know, and he's a guy, he's, he's probably a 4A. He got 50 major league starts, um, but he was filler for the Mets in a time when they weren't very good. He, you know, he, he knew that he was, I think he wishes he pitched now because he wished he had the information that's available now uh, for his career. And, and maybe they would have had an impact and gotten him further in his career because where he was, he was a guy that threw, you know, 91, 92 and down in the zone and really spent his career pitching probably backwards to how he would now. And I, I think that, the way he, he saw himself similar stuff-wise to uh, Adam Wainwright. Execution-wise, it wasn't close to what Adam Wainwright was, but he would go and he'd watch an Adam Wainwright start and say Adam Wainwright faced the Cubs, and two weeks later, you know, the Mets were playing the Cubs. He'd look exactly at how Adam Wainwright faced the Cubs and then try to incorporate the same kind of game plan into his own way that he would attack them. And And I thought that was fascinating, just the fact that, you know, maybe Wainwright throws 30 curveballs in the game against the against the Cubs. Well, all right, I'm going to do that now and try and figure out how to get 30 curveballs in myself. And so he sort of had that scout's point of view, and he figured out, you know, because analytics came along at the end, and he he knows he's really good with numbers. He's really good with the data and and figuring out how to break it down and get it across to players. And I, I think that's what really makes him a sort of a hybrid and, and really someone that's going to help pitchers. Um, you know, he can, he can do the old fashioned scouting, but he also knows how to take data and, and tell a pitcher, Hey, you should do this a little bit more. And he did that with Kyle Gibson in 2017 and it had great results. Um, the twins really tried to work on, on Kyle Gibson getting the four seam up in the zone. And they'd talked to him about it early in the year. <clears throat> and, and Hefner in the middle of the season was able to kind of, connect with them and, and show them data as to why it was really good. And, you know, that was pre when he was a pitching coach. So last year was the first time he really got to do pitching coach and work hands-on with pitchers. 
and and I know he learned a ton from that, and I know the relievers really enjoyed working with him. But before it was sort of a, all right, this guy's a resource for you guys to use. He's really smart. You should do it. Um, but it's optional. And and obviously, he got a lot more experience last year. But you know, it's it's been a pretty interesting three year ride for him. And um, he's he's a little inexperienced going into this. And I think the Mets know that. But I also know that they know they have a pretty brilliant guy that they're bringing on board. And I think what you just said is interesting, and you're in a clubhouse, so you would know this. You know, fans probably don't realize that players don't necessarily – I mean, they'll have coaches, they'll respect them, they'll listen. That doesn't mean they're just automatically going to implement things. So for the fact that, yes, he's a former major leaguer, recent, they probably remember some of these guys maybe playing against him in the minors or the majors. But to get that respect, that's not common. I think you would agree with that. that that's a big deal, even for a former big leaguer, recent former big leaguer. Yeah, I think so, and I think it takes a little time. And figuring out how to work with guys, and that's something that he learned a lot last year. And, and we talked about that last year that you know he's put in charge of the bullpen, and here he is working with this relatively inexperienced group uh, down the the pennant run because they released a couple of their veterans and moved on from guys, and he didn't know how to basically tell you know Taylor Rogers or Trevor May or Tyler Duffy all right, here's what you do at the end of a baseball game because he'd never done that before when he pitched in the minor or in the, in the majors out of the bullpen, it was always long relief. And so <clears throat> even in that he had to adapt and learn. And I think that was extremely valuable to him because, you know, he knew it wasn't a area where he was an expert and yet he was able to make it work. And, you know, Sergio Romo coming on helped a lot. And he, uh, he really soaked up everything Sergio Romo taught him and I mean we're talking about you know Romo's three years older than him and I mean he he couldn't get enough of of Sergio Romo um, just to to soak up knowledge and I think that's a great thing for him you know he is a, a, a smart guy he clearly knows what he's doing and yet I think he goes in without a ton of ego like he knows that he what he's saying is right but I also know that he knows that there are other ways for things to work and that you know his way isn't going to always be the way it's just a suggestion and to try and find common ground with uh, his pitchers and, and move forward that way. Because I think he gets that, you know, working with them is, is, or working against each other would be counterproductive. So I think the lack of ego is, is a really good thing for him in this role too. Just <clears throat> the, the goal is to get together and, and instruct and try to maximize the player's uh, performance and, and get the most out of him. I mean, you look at the Twins bullpen. You just mentioned he worked with them. Taylor Rogers, Trevor May, Tyler Duffy, or Ryan Harper, Blake Parker. Blake Parker's had some success before the Twins. That's not a, a, a bullpen. They're going out there getting $10, $15 million a year contracts. You see that debate. You know, and fans love it during the hot stove. But really, it's about coaching, about roles. And, you know, doing something like that with the bullpen, those are the marginal, in my opinion, differences that – we don't talk about coaching and we overrate coaching sometimes. And some of this, you know, I mean, today we'll, we'll debate bench coaches. It's crazy, but uh, it sounds like from listening to you and then looking at the numbers here, if you, as you, you look at baseball reference, I mean, the twins bullpen was really good. It was probably a big reason why they were able to make the playoffs. And it sounds like Jeremy had a big part of that because these names don't jump off the page at me when I look at them on the surface. Yeah. They're a young group. I mean, I think that, Maybe in a year or two, a few of them. Taylor Rogers should be in, in everybody's mind now, but that's because he's had two years of success. And even then, it's still AL Central, you know. And in Minnesota, it's not like the the headlines are flying out of Minnesota, and he doesn't make a lot of them. 
but <clears throat> you look at that group and, and they learned a lot and from him. And I, I, you know, there was a constant work with Trevor May over the course of the year to eliminate pitches and, and just simplify things. And I think that really helped him. You look at him and Tyler Duffy and, and Tyler Duffy changed things around last year. You know, Tyler Duffy was a, a, a two seam fastball guy, his entire career, throw it down the zone, throw down the zone. And, and basically last year they said, Hey, we want you to throw up. And, and he went from 92 to 95. And uh, there was a lot of work with, with Hefner on just solidifying the mechanics and making sure the release point was good. And um, there was a lot of instruction that went on. And I think that's something that he's really good at and getting through to guys. And um, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. You know, it might be a little tricky, a first year manager and a, a first year pitching coach. That's going to be an interesting dynamic, but you know, just talking to him constantly about in-game decisions that are made, and he's got the right head for the position. It's just going to be growing together with uh, Beltran in that first year. And Tyler Duffy doubled, almost doubled his strikeout rate. Tells you a, a minor adjustment what what it can do. I have uh, uh, Dan Hayes with me. You can check him out on Twitter at Dan Hayes MLB over at the Athletic. Uh, we've had other guys from the Athletic. Great product. Uh, I have no vested interest financially. All I can tell you is I'm a subscriber and, and I enjoy the content. And uh, Dan has a great article over there about uh, Jeremy Hefner. You know, you mentioned uh, the ego, and I find it interesting as we go along. Sometimes the best pitching coaches, and you know, they've had a few here in, in this town. I think back to Rick Peterson, never made it to the big leagues. Back during that time, he was a visionary and, and ahead of the curve. Uh, it's these 4A guys like Jeremy that tend to become great coaches or great managers. It's Maybe it's the ego. Maybe it's that they've had to like look back and really assess what went wrong. But it's interesting how that works out. I, w- I would think you'd agree, Dan. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with he's really proud of what he was able to accomplish. I don't think he came out, you know, he's not a big, big time draftee. Uh, he was never a prospect in the Padres system. Really, uh, you look at their top 30 and uh, he may have cracked the bottom five of it somewhere. And that's when the Padres farm system wasn't very good. Uh, and I, I think that he knew he had to work for it and maximize everything that he got out of, you know, he had to find tricks. He had to find everything. He wasn't gifted with this 95. And I I think that knowing how to make those little adjustments, knowing how to maximize every bit really helps those guys because they know how hard it is to get to the majors and you can deal with someone and and know this isn't the easiest thing in the world, you know? And I, I think that helps a lot in connecting with guys and you've tried everything and, you can suggest things to guys and see what works. And, and I think that's very helpful stuff. And, you know, um, he's, he's going to be somebody that I think that, you know, Mets fans will appreciate just because he works extremely hard and, and, and looks for all the angles to try and get his guys better. And, and he, he's sort of a ride or die with his guys kind of guy. He will not, uh, he, he works hard. You know, he'll, he'll tell you if somebody needs some work, but he won't say it on the record. He doesn't, he doesn't crush his pitchers in the paper. He basically works along with them and, and, and finds ways to motivate. And, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a good combo. And, and he really has um, some very good insights to the game. It wouldn't surprise me at all if one day he ends up in a front office, just because of the, uh, the, I, the understanding of how front offices work, how scouting works and analytics work. And, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's a, assistant GM or a future GM, but, uh, you know, I know he wanted to be on the field stuff and really wants to work with players right now. 
Interesting. That's very interesting. Didn't think of that. A couple of quick things before I let you go. Uh, the Mets picked up an under-the-radar former twin, Steven Gonsalves, who uh, uh, was a formerly top prospect. They picked him up off waivers. Uh, what do you think of that? I don't know how much. I know he didn't pitch a lot for them. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, what are your thoughts? Because you know that might be the kind of guy that uh, Jeremy Hefner can can help and maybe maximize what's uh, what's inside of him. Yeah, he he was hurt last year, and that was uh, that's I think they were hoping to get him snuck through. Um, obviously, the the idea the stuff is there. I mean, he was a, a high pick for them. Uh, you know, he's he's still very young, not a lot of mileage on the arm. Just somebody that I think that they knew they needed to create space on the forty man roster at the time, and. And and so he was a casualty of that, um, especially spending all last season hurt. But, you know, there was work with him last year between Wes Johnson, the, the current pitching coach, uh, to try and get his velocity back and get him up to 95. Uh, he's going to be a guy that's going to have to work on the command. You know, he, he lives on the corners unless he gets to 95 consistently, and we'll see how that goes. But he was he was headed there when he got hurt last year. But, um, you know, if he doesn't have the 95, he's going to be living on the corners, basically. And so they they got to get his command better. Uh, but he definitely has the stuff, the arsenal. Um, he just needs to get the confidence and, and, and be a little more pinpoint. Um, but the, the stuff is there, and he's an interesting case for sure. One other guy before I let you go, Jason Castro is a free agent. It looks like the, the Twins have moved on from him uh, by signing Avila. Uh, knowing that the Mets might be in the market for a veteran catcher, Castro's a guy who could certainly start and has start every day. But I looked at him, a guy who's good defensively, could hit left, uh, hit you know lefty, hits righty, uh, pitching. Yep. Um, really good compliment to Ramos. I wonder. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, surprised a little bit. I know Mitch Garver, big big bat, uh, but I was surprised a little bit that they let Castro go as a backup for Avila because uh, personally, I think he's better. But uh, I was curious about that. Yeah, I, you know, Castro got a three-year, $24 million deal with the Twins and, and went in there. And, uh, you know, he got hurt in the 18 season and really wiped that out. But other than that, he was everything they wanted. I just think there probably was a discrepancy on dollar value and idea of playing time. And Avila fits what the Twins need right now because Mitch Garver is their guy. And, and he emerged last year. He had a monster year at the plate, 31 home runs, you know, in, in 390 plate appearances. Um he was he was awesome offensively, but he also changed his game around and, and really improved dramatically, going from one of the worst pitch framers in baseball to middle of the road. And, and Gar or Castro is a better pitch framer than that, but um, it was clear that Castro was either going to need to be willing to take an 80 game role, be paid like an 80 game player, or the Twins might be able to move on. And I think what they did, they found someone with in Alex Avila that does exactly what Castro does. He improved his own pitch framing last year. I think he got to top 10 and um, he was definitely above average, but I think MLB's uh, metric had him like sixth or something like that in pitch framing, which was a big departure from where he's been in the past because he's never really been good at that. But I think they found someone that could get, you know, this one year, $4 million, $4.25 million. And the twins have another ca uh, catcher coming along that either could break through at the end of this year or next year that, I think they believe that he's kind of their future and, and probably committing to Castro for more than one year wasn't something they want to do. I, I think Castro probably is a guy that um, is going to improve whatever team he goes to. I mean, he's a student of the game. He's so good behind the plate. Pitchers love throwing to him. He's a leader in the clubhouse. He really is a good guy to have. Um, I think the Twins just 
and and he probably ideally were at a different point for for what each was looking for. I'm sure Castro is looking to get multiple years. This may be being his last contract or or something along that line and trying to maximize his value. Um, so the fact that they moved on didn't surprise me, uh, especially with how quickly the catching market was kind of moving. But um, whoever he ends up with is going to end up with a, a very good backstop. Listen, you've been very generous with your time. Out-of-town guy coming on here, talking to a New York guy. Enjoy the holidays, Christmas, New Year. And uh, listen, if there's anything other going on with the Mets and Twins, let's catch up again, all righty? All right. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. That's uh, Dan Hayes uh, on The Athletic. Uh, Dan Hayes, MLB, The Athletic, great site, great stuff. And there's a chance to hear about Jason Castro and Stephen Gonsalves and Jeremy Hefner and a chance to get a firsthand take from uh, somebody in Minnesota. Let's take a quick break. We'll return more from the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back right after this. You got to figure out how to pitch. You got to go from a thrower to a pitcher. I would say this, like he missed over the middle of the plate with that slider more than, you know, that, that slider could be a, a strike one early in the count, and then you move it out of the strike zone. I think he just has to, I mean, this is my opinion, but I think he needs to evolve on the command of the slider and realize it's not just something you throw as hard as you can. You can't throw everything 110%. As Case said, there's no such thing anyway. Uh, so maybe back off a little bit here and there. Learn to command the pitch. Because you're right, the fastball is still electric. Almost 100 strikeouts in 58 innings. So, I mean, the stuff should be there. Like, it shocks me that he gave up as many home runs as he did last year. And I know for me, you know, there was also, when I was in Philly, I do remember a learning curve also where I had to take that slider and say, okay, you know, I I, and I, I was kind of at the point where I wasn't throwing quite as hard. Okay, I need to evolve a little bit more as a pitcher. Maybe this is the first time in his career where he really needs to start paying a little bit more attention to location with that slider uh, versus just letting that sucker rip. Uh, and I think with his fastball, Fastball, he still just he should just let it eat because that thing is electric. But this slider is going to have to be more careful. Yeah, and I, and I think he will. I, I honestly do. I, I, if I'm a like I said, if I'm a betting man, I go with Diaz having a, a very good season this year. All right, we're back. You just heard from Dan Hayes of the Athletic, and now a little clip from Brad Lidge. He was on the MLB Network radio earlier in the week about Edwin Diaz. And look, uh, before I get to Ernie Dove and we get into how the Mets can improve their team internally with some of the options they have, I mean, let's face it. The real improvement that's going to come is through Edwin Diaz. I mean, nobody wants to hear that. But when the Mets made that trade last year, they made a decision that Diaz was worth giving up a top prospect, investing in, and him being their closer for the next three to four years. And and this is the kind of guy that, with the, you know, the strikeout rate, how high it is, I mean, he's up there with Josh Hader. I mean, it's amazing about how bad his season was compared to the swings and misses he gets. And he was pretty good up until, uh, really, was it maybe the Cincinnati game when he gave up the home run? to Iglesias, and then they had the Dodger game a few weeks uh, later, and he never recovered from that. So who knows? Uh, Beltran had indicated that he was tipping some pitches. I'm guessing that that was part of the case. Familia, I'm less bullish of because, uh, you know, I think he's unhealthy. I mean, Justin Wilson, he, he concerns me because of obviously his health and the walk rate. Seth Lugo, we've seen him pitch well out of the bullpen for two years. Can he go back-to-back? I mean, yes, there's a lot of ifs. So the Mets have to make improvements. Now, uh, do I believe that they should have won out like the Braves did and sign a bunch of relievers for big money? Well, look, that may cost them Josh Donaldson. 
And I'm not sure if I were the Braves that, and Josh Donaldson is a risky contract, but being that he was such a part of the fabric of the team, I know you have Austin Riley there, uh, they took a different approach. They went out, they spent big money on relievers. It may cost them an offensive piece. Maybe it won't matter because they have a young guy in Riley behind them. Uh, that's, and I said this at the beginning of the offseason, so I've been consistent. If I were the Mets, I'd invest in the starting pitching, take the risk there. They went that way, shorter-term risk with Porcello and Waka, not with Wheeler. Uh, And then I would uh, play out the reliever market, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're waiting to see. Here's our offer for Batances. You don't like it? All right, we have this money. Then you have guys like Ciszek. You have guys uh, out there like uh, Will Harris. Um so on and so forth. So we'll see if any of those guys, I don't even know if there was interest in Joe Smith who recently signed. Uh, the Mets haven't really been, you know, Daniel Hudson's going to get a multi-year deal. Think about that. Guy was released twice over the last couple of years coming out of spring training and, uh, you know, has great stuff. And probably if he didn't have Tommy John surgery, would have been a really good, you know, middle, to potentially upper rotation, maybe a 2-3 guy if he had not gotten hurt as a, a, an MLB starter. Uh, so <laughs> Daniel Hudson on a multi-year deal, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Baseball likes to fancy itself as being progressive, but you start with Joe Kelly and the Dodgers, you see it with Daniel Hudson, you're going to take a small sample size of success and say, well, we're going to reward you with a multi-year deal. At least that's what Hudson wants. I don't know if that's smart. And, you you know, when you guys think when Steve Cohen is going to become the owner that all of a sudden business is going to be thrown aside and they're not going to do some of these things and make some of these decisions, the margin of error and the amount of, of bad money they can absorb and long-term contracts they're willing to take on as far as risk, yes, that will change. But that doesn't mean they're not going to be making similar type of des- decisions on uh, secondary parts of the roster like you see now. So let's not fool ourselves here. Let's not fool ourselves. So. Anyway, let's take a break. When we return, Ernest Dove, Mets Miners. If the Mets decide not to go after any big league relievers, are there options coming up for the Miners that can be viable and can be counted on? Even if they do sign a Batances, you're going to need depth. You're going to need inexpensive, high upside arms, failed starters. Mets have done a poor job getting guys out of their system to help them in the bullpen. Do they have those guys? We'll see what Ernest has to say. Ernest Dove, Mets Miners right after this. We like to look back at Mets history at the Talking Mets podcast, like on August 10th, 2017, when Dave Malicki joined me as we remembered his shutout of the Yankees in the first ever Subway Series in 1997. The thing that always comes to my mind was just obviously just, you know, striking out Jeter to end the game. That was like, um, the, you know, that was that was a thrill. But, that, you know, the game was in hand at that point, obviously, and I had the bullpen warming up and everything was going. But um, that's that's the, you know, the big memory I have. Um some other ones were some other strikeouts. Um, you know, early, you know, in the middle middle parts of the game, I and I did. I gave up a bunch of hits. I felt like I could, you know, the big guys I was getting out, and then um, not the little guys. You don't want to say that, but the, the back end of the order, I had trouble with those guys. And um, you know, that that's that's where I you know I got into trouble. I feel like I gave up a hit almost every inning. I was like, holy cow! But it was just I, I felt like I could get out of anything, which was which was really um, and a good feeling. And um, you know, I think to start the game, I think Jeter got a hit, reached out an error on second, and then got and then I you know got the next three guys out. And I didn't let him advance, and that that gave me a ton of confidence. Just that first inning really 
kind of set the tone for me. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. And uh, joining me, first time on the program over at Mets Miners, Ernest Dove. Uh, Ernest covers the St. Lucie Mets. You can check him also out on the Sports Report with Thomas Bryce. Does some good stuff. Follow him on Twitter at Ernest Dove. Uh, Ernest, pleasure to have you on first time. And uh, that time of the year again, holidays around the corner, but we're talking baseball. And uh, the Miners never sleeps because uh, in this day and age, there's always an option for teams to plug gaps. So how you doing? And uh, pleasure to have you on. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. So you know, early in the program, I was talking about how the Mets, you know, with Dylan Batances and Will Harris and Daniel Hudson and some of the names that are out there, I still think they're going to wait to see who's available and, and get a big league arm. But I also think, and uh, in talking to Dan Hayes earlier, who uh, has experience, you know, covering Jeremy Hefner, and the work he did with some of the young bullpen arms they have over in Minnesota, I think they're going to rely on some of the arms, not only the ones they've acquired over the last couple of years, when uh, the final years of Sandy Alderson, but also uh, some of the guys they've drafted and they've been developing over the last, you know, 18 to 24 months. So I'm curious, are you bullish on anybody that could be counted on in the 2020 Mets bullpen? Uh, I mean, from a minor league perspective, it gets a little rough on the edges here at this point because we're talking about some guys that have been shuffled back and forth, back and forth for the last year or two, and they're kind of still around. And they're still trying to figure out the roles. I mean, the Mets can't seem to want to really designate certain guys. And now Flexen is gone, but they were bouncing him around. They didn't know what to do with him, starter, reliever, call him up, one inning. Then they were doing it for Corey Oswalt, who's still around. So as, as, as of this point, Corey Oswalt is still on the 40-man roster. Are they finally going to make him a full-blown, you're always a starter, or are they just going to finally transition him to the bullpen? I mean, there's certain options out there, but I don't know, even with Hefner and everything else, I'd love to know then what's going to be the plan and some new roles for the guys that they've been bouncing around already at this point. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see that. Now, the names that – one name that's always jumped out, and he was in the Arizona Fall League, was Riley Gilliam. Uh, a forgotten name is Drew Smith. He was on the 60-day DL. He was up uh, back in 2018. I mean, those are the two guys. I know Jacob uh, uh, Rame is also there. I've never been a big Tyler Bachelor guy. I mean, don't forget about Paul Sewald and Daniel Zamora. But to me, Riley Gilliam is the guy that we haven't seen. We've seen Drew Smith. Let's see how he comes back and help. Uh, but Riley Gilliam uh, stands out to me, fifth-round pick uh, from 2018 and, and potentially an arm that, that could contribute. Yeah, I remain a big fan. I've been talking about Gilliam since day one for the start of the 2019 season. He basically had a cup of coffee uh, down here in the Florida State League. And even from watching him in April, you kind of got, at first glance, he didn't belong there. Uh, it was too much. He had the upper 90s fastball. The spin rate on his breaking ball was incredible. So, it really it was only a matter of time before he got pushed up. But I know when he was drafted, they were saying he was going to be a high riser anyway, but then they put him in Brooklyn for some reason. But then it, that was 2018. 2019, they just jumped him to St. Lucie, but he already didn't belong. So they already had him jumping already. So he, the reason why he becomes a guy is he's already been fast-tracked as it is, and now he's going to show up in 2020. You'd have to believe at least he's going to be starting in double-A. 
Uh, but he could be a riser and show up in, by summer either way up to AAA. So he's going to be an interesting option with that one-two punch with the fastball and the breaking ball. Absolutely. Uh, Ernest Dove, uh, Mets Miners, joining me. Uh, is there a sleeper arm? I mean, I mentioned the, the obvious ones. Is there a sleeper arm that you're looking at and saying, hey, uh, is it Jordan Humphreys that maybe I know he was been a, he's been a starter, you know, Tommy John surgery, again, pitched well in the AFL. Maybe Franklin Kilome comes out of the bullpen. I mean, the Mets seem pretty – if they don't trade a starter, and I know health is a big if, but you've got six starters already. Yeah, you've got to go seven, eight, nine, ten deep. Um, but assuming that they have relatively good health, is there a name we're not thinking of that potentially this summer could pop in that bullpen uh, and perform, even if his future is in the, uh, the, bullp- uh, in the rotation? I'm wondering if anybody you're keeping an eye on. Well, that's the thing. The two guys that become wild cards right off the bat because they're both coming off big surgeries is both Jordan Humphreys and Thomas Zapucky because at this point, they both had to be put on the 40-man roster. So that, I mean, obviously, you, you, you protect guys for different reasons year to year. Some guys are even younger than others. But again, they're, they could be arms that could possibly rise uh, out of the bullpen for needed help, especially when you talk about uh, innings counts and caps. I don't know how many innings that both Humphreys and Zapucky are going to pitch anyway. It's going to be hard to say, but I've been hyping Zapucky since day one. And when he came back, he started to look really good, but really more of the, the curveball, the breaking ball, as his fastball was starting to come back. Jordan Humphreys was a complete, we have no idea, because he ended up missing an entire another season before he popped up in the Arizona Fall League. But that would be pretty fascinating for two guys like that, Again, they're kind of young. They don't have the experience in the innings logged at this point. But if they show up on fire and they have their way, at least in AA, and they can sneak into AAA by summer, it would almost be a weird, crazy option. It's been done before. Again, I'm using the same poor name of a guy who's gone, but Chris Flexen got jumped all the way to, from AA to the majors to fill a need. These are two guys where perfect health, they show to their potential, they could be true wild card, like, wow, because it wouldn't be an absolute shock based on their pedigree and uh, the talent and the tools they had to begin with, but it would be pretty fascinating if they made that jump. And hearing you talk like that, uh, I mean, obviously, you, you're correct. The innings limits uh, are something to consider. And the controversy has been Zach Wheeler. Should the Mets have signed Zach Wheeler? Shouldn't have they signed Zach Wheeler? Look, I would have loved for them to sign Zach Wheeler. Clearly, they didn't want to go five years. Clearly, they didn't want to go $118 million. They may like Syndergaard and Stroman better. We'll see. But mentioning those guys, those guys are originally starters. Yes, they can help in the bullpen. But you sounded like Zespuki you're very high on. And, and potentially as early as next year, if you know, he puts a certain amount of innings and develops the way they feel, Uh, you know, that might be, or he might be one of the guys that they feel that they could have uh, justified uh, letting Wheeler go. Yeah, I mean, I I try my best. I try to hit the grind. I hit the miners grind. I use some of the sources that I do have. And when it comes to Sapoki, when he started 2019, it was my understanding he was already hitting 96, 97 with ease on his fastball down in Columbia. And the thing with him is, too, what I'm being told is, his throw, his delivery is at this point now post-surgery is effortless. So it's one of those things where he throws so casually and it hits like 97, you don't even know. It looks like it's 87 because it, it flows from him like nothing. So now we're just talking about pure, pure health. If he has the health, if he has the fitness level, it just 
I'm told his arm is ridiculous. So that's why – and I was hyping him up too where uh, I was actually saying even for 2020, my projection was, listen, barring the perfect health based on what I've been told and what's being seen, he'll have an Anthony K type season, which, of course, K already jumped all the way to the majors in 2019. I can see Zapuki doing the same thing in 2020. But, again, I, I don't want to use the word if. The Mets fans, we don't want to talk about that anymore. So I'm just saying perfect health. With his arm delivery being effortless, with that curveball, if his fastball gets back up to the mid-90s again, because it dipped at the end of the year, if it's back up to mid-90s uh, by spring and summer, they may have to get, he's, he's going to be an option one way or another in 2020, 2021, and going forward. The guy that I am interested in, and again, health is a big thing, is Drew Smith. I mean, he was, uh, uh, they got him for Lucas Duda, a uh, decent relieving prospect that was moving up in the Rays organization. I mean, maybe the Rays knew something. That's why they gave him up. Um, you know, at that time, Duda wasn't chopped liver, so he may have gotten some value for uh, him. He didn't pitch terribly, not as much swing, uh, missing bats as you would have liked before he got hurt. Uh, I, he would have probably, would, not probably, would have definitely helped last year. Any insight into Drew Smith? Because he probably is going to be one of the first ones to get a crack at uh, making this bullpen. He's already on the 40-man, and, and, and he's got some big league experience, albeit very little. Well, yeah, that's why it's so it's so confusing, and it's amazing what the Mets have done with their 40-man roster because at this point, we're left with so many unknowns. We've got all these guys coming off injuries. It seems like half the 40-man roster are guys you know, in the minor league level all coming off injuries. So I don't know who they're going to go to. We still have Jacob Rehm to go with Drew Smith, two of the leftovers from all the past sell-offs. But again, they were known as guys who throw in the upper 90s, give them a shot, see if the command comes through. And I know there's a lot of fans of Drew Smith, you know, from back in the last year or two. So he's, he's still one of the bigger, bigger names. It doesn't mean he disappeared because he was injured. So, yeah, he's definitely a clear option with health. So, but he, he would be one of the, the bigger ones to come out of there then at this point. Who's new? Yeah, and one of my biggest disappointments and why I cite the bullpen struggles, we know Diaz heard Brad Lidge's comments earlier in the program. We know Familia, I think Familia, it's been health. But the Mets have not been able to for a very, very long time. And uh, I can't remember the last time, actually, bring somebody up. And we're not talking about top prospects. I'm not talking about top five, top six, not even top ten. But what other teams that have been successfully doing, even if you get a year or two, they haven't been able to bring up arms, maybe failed starters, maybe just guys who are college bullpen arms, and successfully transition them, them to any kind of value at the big league level. It's amazing. It's an indictment on their development. Uh, and I know they're trying to change things since Van Wagenen and this new Allard Baird and this new regime has come and played Jared Bannon. Um, I guess this is their first crack because let's face it, last year they were still transitioning from the Alderson regime. This is really their first year to see, has there been any improvement on that on the, I guess, you know, component type prospects that aren't going to be stars. The Mets aren't getting a lot of good components. Type prospects. They'll get star, you know, guys who may be, you know, very good regulars or stars, McNeil, Alonzo, uh, but they're not getting any of the component guys really. And that, because also, again, maybe they're, they're not taking the certain risks or even defining the right roles from the Flexins, the Corey Oswalt. My thing, too, again, I'm biased because of where I'm, I am down here. So I'm a Tyler Bachelor fan, but the thing with me with Tyler Bachelor from all the years I've been watching him, I understand the concerns of the control, which he's been getting better at. 
But then you call him up to the majors, and all of a sudden he's pitching two innings every outing. I don't know why. I've never seen the man pitch more than one inning in any outing in, in minor leagues. And then the Mets are like, good, we're going to sit here and just use him to eat innings, which, again, fine, I understand that. But then what's the point? How is he being developed? Is he, he's just there to eat innings and just fill out another bad season for the Mets? Because now where he's still on the roster, he still throws upwards of 98-99. The control was getting better. I mean, I, we can't, I can't stop the home runs. I mean, obviously, for Diaz and everybody else, yeah, please stop giving up dingers. But I just, I'm still a fan of his, but it's always going to be the role, the role, the role. And even talking about the other guys, again, like Sapucky, talking about Jordan Humphreys, but what if they went in another direction? Because the whole organization is huge fans right now of Kevin Smith, uh, the lefty, who still also just burst onto the scene in the last two years from his draft. What if they rocketed him up in 2020 all the way to the bullpen, even if he still may or may not have a future role in the, in the rotation one way or another? Can that development actually take place by the Mets organization, like you were saying? That would be interesting. Yeah. No, role. listen, I think one of the things that it has been clear from Callaway, and, and Callaway, we know, had his issues. I don't think he was always as bad as everybody thought he was, but he certainly had his issues. Um, he was more old school than I think people thought, and I think there was has already been talk about the roles in the bullpen, even maybe from the veterans, uh, being a problem. And you just cited Tyler Bashler. See, to me, Tyler Bashler, great arm, does he know how to pitch? Uh, but obviously he's being thrown into the big leagues and maybe the direction he was given and the support is, is another thing. Uh, roles I'm always big on in the bullpen, but it's like the chicken and the egg. If your bullpen's bad and you can't get the job done in big spots, what's the manager supposed to do? I'm not going to just keep rolling you out there and saying, you're the seventh inning guy, you're the eighth inning guy. And I think the game has changed where they're trying to get away from that. But from what I know, if I'm a reliever, there's a routine. You have to know when you're going to start to think about getting in the game. And if it's the fifth inning one day and the eighth inning another, I know the old saying, you know, Billy Martin, bring, you know, anybody in anytime. I, I don't know if just because it's old school, if that's the right way to think about it. And maybe that's what hurt the Mets bullpen last year a little bit. I mean, it could. I mean, we're always, we're seeing it now, you know, on the public stage with guys like Seth Lugo, who have now been succeeding and still wondering why they can't get a shot in a different role than they really want. But again, Seth Lugo is so self-motivated. You can see the confidence in him. He's going to try to, dominate regardless every second of his outings of everything so it just i just don't know i, I i'm still i still want to be excited about the team they're going to have arms they're going to be there but there's so many wild cards because so many guys coming off injuries but and i do i mean i still have one other favorite outside the box guy simply because of, he's a side armor but steven Valines could be a 2020 bullpen option for the mets too and, and you actually pronounced his name for me, so now I've been mispronouncing it anytime I've talked about it. So now I know how to pronounce The best part about this is you've corrected me on how to uh, pronounce Stephen Valines. I would say Valines, I used to call him. It's Valines. So, and I like sidearms, yeah. and I think there's a value. I, listen, I love Chad Bradford. I thought that was a mistake letting Chad Bradford go. Now I'm dating myself, going back almost 15 years. But um, you have the different arm slots, the different looks. Um, I wonder if the league gets back to that. I mean, yes, 95 spin rate. At some point, if everybody throws the same, big league hitters, even though it's tough to hit, they're going to adjust. And I think side armors, you know, lefties that have been able to ex extend their career, Pedro Feliciano comes to mind, Bradford, you know, when he went under. I mean, to me, there might be a, a comeback in a certain way. A guy like that could have a ton of value coming out of the bullpen. So that's an interesting name. Forgot about him totally.
Yeah, again, he's he's still 24 years old. Uh, he was working on some of his out pitches towards the end of the year because, again, this is a guy who was completely dominating uh, class high A and then double A. It was embarrassing. I think his ERA in St. Lucie was about 0.41. The, the hitters at that level had no idea what to do with that arm slot. And, again, he was touching, what, 87, 88. It was so funky. It was fun to watch. Uh, but then he hit triple A and ran into a wall. And then he went back to double-A to try to work on his out pitches again, which for him, he does throw a slider and a changeup uh, as well. So he went back to the grind. He went back to the drawing board. And he's, he, started, he started pitching well again towards the end of the year. So for 2020, he's a guy – I would like to see him back up in triple-A to start the year. And once he's there, he's got the funky delivery, uh, work on some of the mechanics – he always wants to work on command because, again, when you're a sidearmer anyway, of course you want to do command. Plus, when your fastball is not even touching 90, you want to have certain you know, things that you got going on. But he could be a really quiet, quiet, like where did that come from? We just put him on the roster and here he is kind of guy in 2020. One other guy uh, as we wrap up here, um, Steven Agosik just got designated. Um, he wasn't claimed. He'll still be in the organization. Uh, Chris Mazza, I was surprised Chris Mazza was claimed because I, I didn't see a lot there. I'm not surprised you saw some of the KBO guys like Gagno and guys like that uh, they leave. Um, but Nagosik, he was touted. I know he's raw, uh, looked bad. Again, not much of a shot in the big leagues. Um, but I saw you tweet out there uh, at Ernest Dove that uh, you might still have some hope for Steven Nagosik. I mean, I always did because of the liveness of the arm. I mean, it's, it's a really live fastball. And he's got that thing from, like, the movie Major League, though, with the command. You want to know what's going on. You want to give him the jersey with the cutoff sleeves. Uh, it's just the arm is there. He started completely dominating double-A. But, again, anybody can do, You know, anyone can dominate certain levels. I, I was still happy to try to see him. But when you throw him out there for, what, I don't know, six innings, I mean, what did he really pitch in the majors? Uh, it's easy for me to say, hey, I'm glad he's back. I mean, I'd like to see him. I'm sure he would like to still be on a 40-man roster and still be getting ready for the major leagues. But he's still a really, really live arm. Uh, I kind of had him in the top three. When I was evaluating certain St. Lucie Mets guys, when he was also in the, in the same bullpen as a Matt Blackham, and, a, and a, I, I was excited, but I didn't know who to choose one or the other. I actually had Nogasek a little bit ahead of uh, – Blackham, because I love Blackham's curveball, who's also could be a weird, crazy, outside-the-box 2020 option, depending on what he does in 2020. And then I'm also a still Ryder Ryan fan from the old Jay Bruce trade or something from 5,000 years ago. Uh, so it, those were the guys that I was happy with, too, when they were all in the same bullpen in St. Lucie. And here we are a few years later. They're all still in the mix at the AA and AAA level. So they are still options. I mean, we're trying to talk about the best options we can. And at the best, what they have going for them, they're all throwing up our 90s, except for Blackham, maybe more 92 to 94, but he's got that high spin rate curveball. But a lot of these guys are such live arms with upper 90s that everyone loves in baseball. So they, they still have a chance. Whether you succeed or not, double-A, triple-A, majors, you can still have a chance year to year for any reliever regardless. Yeah, it's it really sounds to me it's going to come down to development information, and I know they're working on bringing some different ideas and different things to the organization. It's an indictment on where they've been. Uh, look, uh, Daniel Hudson's probably going to get a multi-year deal. I mean, uh, think about it. A guy who's been released twice 
over the last two years now might get a two, three year deal because of a good postseason. Uh, you have to be able to develop these uh, arms. There's just no way around it. Uh, it sounds like the Mets have a lot of arms. The questions are abound, though, so it should be interesting. Hey, so you're at Mets Miners, MetsMiners.net. They do great work over there. Michael Mayer comes on the show. Um, love those guys. Part of the MetsMorizedOnline.com guys. Uh, what else you got co- going on? You got the sports report with Thomas Price. You're all over the place. Yeah, at Ernest Dove, you're all over the place, Ernest. Uh, they could find you pretty much anywhere, and you're very active on Twitter. So. Give the listeners who may not have heard of you yet uh, an idea of what's coming up next as the holidays and the end of the year are upon us. Yeah, I mean, I'm still obviously hitting the uh, the grind down behind the scenes, uh, so I'm still around. I try to be on Twitter. I've been trying to come up with uh, – I had a new post that was published to MetsMinders.net about I'm just so lucky anyway and blessed to be able to talk to a lot of these guys. So a lot of them were nice enough to give me some updates on what they've been doing, trainings, winter ball, so I just, I've been excited about it. And for the coming season, obviously, I'm excited once again to actually see a new fixed ballpark over there at First Data Field. I mean, they, they spent over $50 million in upgrades. So I'm pretty excited to see what they do with that. So I'm hoping to cover the team, obviously, again next year down in St. Lucie. And I'm already ready for spring. I'm, I'm getting excited. And my, my YouTube channel hopefully will be filled with more videos and all that from spring and then for the St. Lucie Mets. And that's mostly what I'll continue to do, especially on social media. I'm all about the Mets anyway, so that's what I'll be covering and talking about all the time, same as usual. Yeah, Ernest, at Ernest Dove on Twitter. It will be interesting first day to field, you know, as the fans could walk around and see the different players work out from field to field. I wonder what the construction will do to that. I've seen, I've heard some things, they're putting up walls and things like that. So hopefully the experience for the fans, which I always thought was good at Port St. Lucie, uh, even in spring training, and I know they have to get work done, the players. Hopefully that'll continue. That'll be interesting to see. So uh, I guess we'll – It'll be uh, better. It, yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll actually be better because if they make the fences higher, they were, they were talking about making the fences up to 10 feet high, which is going to be better because this way during the workouts, if the fences are 10 feet high, now you can literally stand right behind the fence because, of course, somebody got hit with a ball about a year or two ago, and now since then – when you go there for February, they pretty much close off like most of the entire spaces where they're actually working out and tossing a ball here and there. So the fan wow. experience should be uh, finally at its best this year than it's been in about two years. Wow. All right. Well, listen, Ernest, you've been uh, very generous at your time. Uh, happy holidays. Uh, we're going to have you on again and keep up the good work over at Mets Miners and at Ernest Dove on Twitter. And uh, let's do this again, my friend. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Let's go Mets. <laughs> That's Ernest Dove. Uh, Ernest does great work at MetsMiners.net. So uh, interesting take. Some options for the bullpen and options for the Mets if they don't want to spend, they don't want to go the Batances route, the Will Harris route, the Daniel Hudson route, and what have you. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, there'll be more of the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back right after this. I had spoken to Ioannis, and, and he's hungry. And as a matter of fact, he even stated to me, I'm he said, listen, to, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry. hungry for breakfast. Are you? Right? You're still, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's about that time, right? You're looking it back to see time. if Kathleen's yeah, coming back. through. I hear you. Well, uh, well just, just imagine um, if you do add a UNS Cespedes, a guy that, you know, verbally told me, he said, I'm ready and I'm going to, I'm going to go out with a bang this year and I'm going to hit, I'm not just going to hit 40 home runs. I said, I said, that means you're going to be out on that field for 140 plus games. And he goes, then I'll be out there for 140-plus games. I said, can your legs take it? I said, the mind's one thing. The mind will say yes, but the legs haven't been out there in, in, in two years. years consistently. 
And to be out there on the field for two years, um, I think Yohan Cespedes is going to show now in spring training if he's healthy or not. Um, and it, will it benefit the Mets? And now with not having to pay him as much, could he be a trade chip for the Mets uh, to move him to an American League team that needs a DH, a, a bopper right there, a uh, proven guy, but a guy that hasn't played in two years, I think is I think it's a big risk on that aspect uh, of the whole thing. Um, uh, verbally, he told me he could hit 52, his number. I would love to see that happen if you're an assessment, as that would be a comeback player of the year, no doubt, with this one. So you heard that there from Eduardo Perez. Of course, Eduardo caused a stir with his comments on MLB Network Radio. I don't know what that was, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever that was, about Ioannis Cespedes and Ioannis talking about hitting over 40 home runs, hitting actually 52, his number, and playing 140-plus games. Look, if that's going to happen and that's the situation, that's a good problem to have because I, I laugh because I'm I'm reading what everybody is saying here about you know the Mets and the offense and – they need to get Marte. Starling Marte is a great fit, and uh, you know maybe defensively, but you know the Mets have no issues really right now in their lineup. You know, assuming, and I don't think it's a big assumption, assuming that there's enough health here that uh, you know to 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 really go around. Last year, the only month that you really had an offensive problem, a total brownout was May. When they averaged four runs a game. In the second half, they averaged 5.15 runs a game, which would have put them in the top five in baseball. If you go back, that would have put them right there with the uh, Colorado Rockies. Uh, you know, with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It would have been ninth. It would have been top 10 in runs. Uh, but when you look at the secondary statistics like runs created over on baseball reference, uh, OPS plus, the Mets are like seventh in all of baseball on both of those. And they actually improved in the second half, but because other teams improved, they dropped a little bit on some of those things. Their top 10 offense, not in the National League, because that doesn't mean a lot. In all of baseball, that includes American League teams. Uh, the Mets, you can argue, were better than the Braves, were better than the Cubs, were better than the Brewers. Those are, uh, you know, two of those teams were playoff teams. Better than Arizona playing out there. Uh, you know, teams that play in hitters uh, areas. You know, the Indians. Uh, Mets were better than those teams. They were every bit an offensive, elite offensive team as the postseason teams. And uh, with their starting pitching, and, and really, as we all know, we're beating it to death, the bullpen, we know why, you know, things didn't work out the way they, they should have. So if you're going to get Ioannis Cespedes anywhere near who he was, and I have my doubts, but he's got a ton of incentive now, and we talked about that last week, he got a ton of incentive to to perform and, and, and potentially make over $20 million. I mean, you cannot ask, if you go back and... Think about what people said about Cespedes, that the only time he's performed is when he's, you know, had a big carrot at the end of the stick. 2015, when he was traded before free agency, signed the deal with the opt-out, had a big 2016 since he signed the deal with security after the 2016 season. And let's be fair, he has a serious 
those heels, the Achilles heels that have been bothering him for a while, which probably should have been taken care of years ago. Uh, and to his credit, he played through pain. I mean, try playing with, you know, forks stuck in your Achilles and, and play at an elite level and play the outfield. And he played center field in 2016, which I wonder if that contributed to increase the chances. You know, good old Terry Collins there. Um, you know, the, the injury, it, it, center field covering a lot of ground. Uh, that, to me, played a part in it. You, it's not just the carrot at the end of the stick. But if that's true, if the carrot at the end of the stick is what this guy needs, he's got the ultimate carrot at the end of the stick. Now, as Eduardo Perez said, can he do it? I don't know. But I do know that if the Mets stand pat offensively, which means they don't go out and try to do any big game hunting, they don't go for an Arenado or a Lindor, which both are very unrealistic. I think Lindor is more realistic than Arenado, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But if you look at the lineup right now, here's the lineup I have. A lefty-righty combo. You have Nimmo leading off. You have Pete Alonso second. McNeil batting third. J.D. Davis fourth. Conforto fifth. Ramos sixth. Cano seventh. Rosario eighth. So basically, that's the lineup I have with Pete Alonso at first. Cano at second. I have J.D. Davis at third. Rosario at short. McNeil in left. Nimmo in center. Conforto in right. Ramos behind the plate. And then, of course, Ramos uh, will be spelled by Thomas Nito or another backup. We talk maybe Mets go after Jason Castro, which I think would be a great addition. But you could also do this. So now you say, where's Cespedes? Because now, right now you have uh, Jed Lowry, Dom Smith, and Cespedes potentially on the bench. And those are, that's a, I mean, that's part of what, when the Mets went brown out in May, and instead of averaging 5.15 runs a game, we're down to four runs a game. Problem was they had Danny Hechevarria and Carlos Gomez and Thomas Nito in the lineup. Ramos wasn't hitting. Conforto got into the, if I believe that's when Conforto hit, got hit with the concussion. There was a lot that went into that. I mean, there was a lot of um, of outliers in that. So they're not a they're not that as bad as May is, and I think May really brought them down uh, offensively, where those numbers could have even been better that we're talking about. But you could do a scenario where you know Cano needs rest. So if, if Cespedes, and he's probably not going to be happy with this, and that's why I think the reports of him being traded, if it doesn't happen in spring training or in the offseason, I think at some point if he produces and he can't play every day here, there's going to be a deal. He's going to want to get dealt. And I think the Mets are probably going to want to accommodate him and, and depending on what they can get back. I don't think they're just going to give him away. He can be an asset if he's healthy. But what you can do is this. You can move McNeil to second base against the lefty, maybe put Cespedes in left. And if you want, uh, you know, now you have Cespedes spelling Cano a couple of days a week. Not only against a tough lefty, you may want to do that, but also the fact that I think it will help Cano get some rest and maybe be more productive. So essentially you can platoon Cespedes and Cano even though they don't play the same position because of the versatility of Jeff McNeil. That's the important part of it. And that's why I laugh when I see people say, well, why would you trade? You know, it's preposterous. You should just, you know, I, I drive Jeff McNeil to the airport for Francisco Lindor. I'm sure the deal is much more rich than, than what is being reported. You know, just because someone said that it's just been Jeff McNeil that in prospects, you don't know what... <laughs> what the whole deal is going to be. None of us do. But uh, 
the versatility of a Jeff McNeil makes it possible to do a ton of things. Really does. And and I really don't want to see the Mets when they have good, young, homegrown players. Uh, I, I don't want to just see them start pulling that apart. I don't know uh, how Lindor is going to fit in into this this town and uh, this clubhouse. And last year, Lindor, I know it was not the banner year that he had maybe the year prior. He wasn't all that much different than McNeil as far as a, a value player. Their wins above replacement were basically the same. And I think on Twitter, our friend uh, Brian, Omar Omanaya fan, said it best. I don't trade McNeil plus for Lindor. I'm willing to uh, uh, stand not by this. McNeil is a plus defender at third. I'm not sure I agree with that, but he wasn't that bad. And he's at least scratch at second, left, and right. I think he's better than scratch at second. I think he's, uh, I'll, I'll agree with scratch and left and right. And he's not a free agent until 2024. And he's homegrown, and he wants to play here. And he's got a great attitude, and he's a grinder. And he has that, you know, they use the word dirtball mindset uh, that a winning team needs. He's Wally Backman with a lot more talent and a lot more upside. Think about that. That's how sometimes I look at him at that. Now, as far as Nolan Arenado, another fantasy that everybody's got, because everybody likes to play fantasy baseball this time of the year. So I reached out to a Colorado contact, and I said, look, what are your thoughts? And he thinks that the only way that Arenado gets traded uh, is if it's a real, you know, use the word lopsided, but if there's an overpay. He believes that it'd have to be both McNeil and Rosario because maybe they'd want to move Trevor Story to third base. Uh, possibly. Uh, that's just his speculation. Um, the owner loves homegrown players, and Arenado is that, so he's not just going to let it go. The biggest reason why he didn't feel it was good for the Mets is he didn't see Arenado as a New York guy. He's a Southern, Carol- uh, Southern California guy. He likes the West Coast. He's not a guy that wants to be in the public eye. He's a leader by example and more private. I mean, he's told me many, many times, as I've talked about the Rockies, that Trevor Story is the leader on that on that club. So, I mean, this is speculation, but when you hear that, you say to yourself, that's an expensive package to bring a guy that could opt out. Southern California guy may not like it here. And then someone pointed out, when you take him out of the core's air, I mean, he's still very good, and his defense makes him very valuable. His offense drops uh, to another level, which is still very good, but not at the level that I think many of you believe you're getting. Now, there's no doubt, if you told me tomorrow, uh, a package with J.D. Davis for Arenado with no opt-out and the guy wants to play here, I'm like, hey, let's put the prospects center around J.D. Davis. Let's go. Not Jeff McNeil. And I don't think you could give up both McNeil and Rosario for Arenado. You're getting a good player at third, and you're opening up other issues. I mean, think about what I just said about this Mets lineup. It's good. You've got guys who are on base guys like uh, like Nimmo. You've got a lot of guys who could drive in runs and hit, you know. And Steve Phillips' criticism of the lineup is, and he said this on the air this week, is, well, there's not enough power in the lineup. Well, I mean, does everyone have to hit 50 home runs? Even if, if Alonzo comes back down to 30, I think McNeil is a 15 to 20 home run guy as long as he doesn't compromise his his uh, uh, his overall ga- offensive game. Uh, Ramos certainly could hit home runs. He's got pop. J.D. Davis, I think if he plays, is going to hit 20 to 25 home runs. Conforto 
is a 30 home run guy. But for me, if it would mean he'd be more consistent and and hit for a higher average and drive in runs, I'd be okay with him hitting 25. Like, I want them to be run producers. I don't care if they hit 40 home runs. Like, I think we get crazy about home runs. You know, you want everyone to shoot three-point shots in the NBA, but are they good three-point shots or in the, the course of a team? Or are they just shooting threes for the sake of threes? Like, to me, it's, you know, as much about run production. And you don't have to hit home runs. You have to have power to win. But you want to got Curtis Granderson in his heyday could hit home runs. But, uh, you know, Lucas Duda could hit home runs. But I don't think they were complete offensive players. I think the Mets have better players. I mean, they're a far better offensive team now than they were when they went when they went to the World Series and won the pennant in 2015. So you guys have to realize the Mets have a really good offensive team from last year. It was a little bit of a quirky year that had a real valley in the spring. But you're not top 10 in baseball in OPS and runs created and a lot of these advanced metrics and average over five runs a game for a half. And if you want to go back to July 1st, it's even more than that. You know, so, you know, three months. And and if I brought in June, I probably wouldn't get, and I didn't do that, I probably would get similar numbers. May, it was a little bit of a, of a downtrod, you know, fall off before the All-Star break in J- July. But every team has a slump. I'll hold out the slump. May was the outlier. July was the slump. So this is a good offensive team. This is definitely a team that, um, you know, you should be excited about offensively. They don't need to go out and tear things apart and get Lindor or Arenado if it means they're going to upheaval the whole team. Nothing against either one of those players. I don't mind them going after them. I'm not about to rip the whole team apart. If you want to talk about a reservoir of prospects, I know everybody, oh my God, the off the, the farm system. I like the guys on the offensive roster. I like J.D. Davis. I like Jeff McNeil. I don't want to give them up. I like Brandon Nimmo. I don't want to give them up. I don't want to give them up. I'm sorry. And you know what? You may disagree with me. This offense is fine. I'm okay with the starting rotation. This is going to come down to a couple of different things. You've heard it throughout the program. How they improve on information and giving their players a little bit of an edge. You heard about that with Jeremy Hefner. You heard that with Ernest Dove and how they helped develop some of these arms. And can they improve the bullpen? Are the guys they have here improvable? And is there an opportunity to bring in a veteran reliever responsibly? But even if you do that, if you don't start getting some production out of the arms that are in this system, it's going to be hard to build a good bullpen. You're going to be constantly chasing your tail on that. And that's a big problem. Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, today. Gave you an extra, what, 15, 20 minutes long podcast today to uh, wrap up the uh, 2019 calendar year. I want to again wish everybody Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Talking Mets podcast in 2019. As I've said many times, we've grown together, and uh, I really appreciate you guys listening to this program and and being a part of it each and every day. Uh, when we do broadcast, we don't broadcast every day, but uh, when you tune in every week and, and continue to uh, look for more stuff in the new year uh, at you know at Mike Silva Media. TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G. Of course, you could also email me, Mike Silva, at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G. And uh, again, enjoy the rest of your uh, 2019. Enjoy your holiday. We'll be back. Now, if there's some kind of big news, we'll try to pop in. But uh, I anticipate anything that happen- happens might uh, be able to wait until 
after the new year. But we'll see. There's always something that could be up the sleeve of Brody Van Wagenen. Thanks a lot, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Enjoy your holiday. Be well. See you in 2020. Thanks a lot. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.